0: Well, this is a big Sunday. This is uh, Palm Sunday, so happy Palm Sunday. I don't know if you guys realize the significance of this. I know we have a different experience in church, and some of you are just very new to church and have been trying us out for the last few weeks, and we're so glad that you're here. In the church's kind of yearly calendar, this is a significant moment where we celebrate what's called Jesus's triumphal entry. And if we could kind of rewind back through the messages in John, this is the moment that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt. And it is met with palm branches, that's why we call them Palm Sunday. And and they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna, which is a cry of praise, praise God, but it's also a cry for salvation. Praise God, save us. And this I can remember, Jeremy and I, you saw him on the announcements. We got to take a a trip to, to Jerusalem and we stood on the steps of the temple, the very place where Jesus entered into the temple. And I remember looking and seeing these palm trees and wondering, are these trees like the descendants of those palm trees in which the Israelites, the Jews, were waving these palms? And it was like a real surreal moment for me And then I learned in school, I learned that this was not the only Palm Sunday, actually, in Jerusalem, that there was as many as maybe 12 moments in Jerusalem where they ushered in a would-be Messiah or Christ. Jerusalem was desperate for salvation, and they cried, God, save us. Praise God, save us, 12 different times. And all of those campaigns, those messianic campaigns, all came to an end with the force of Rome, except one. We celebrate Palm Sunday because Jesus' campaign did not end with a crucifixion. In fact, his revolution was born through an empty tomb, which we celebrate next Sunday. And we hope that you will come to celebrate with us. So today, we look at Palm Sunday and we celebrate this, Hosanna, Hosanna. The cry for salvation has been met in the church and we celebrate with a global church in different languages all across the world and different continents. Today, us joining voices and saying, praise God, he answered the prayer for salvation. God save us. We also look at this event and me myself is saying, and save us more or save more of us meaning like more people, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, our neighbors, our family members, but also the parts of me that have not yet relinquished control and have seen the restoration of Christ. I'm praying, Hosanna, continue to save, continue to shape us, continue to bring more into this family and glorify God in that. So we look forward to what God is gonna continue to do through this church. We look back to how he has accomplished the salvation and the death and resurrection of Christ. So uh, happy Palm Sunday. There you go. Now we have a special, this is another another reason why this is a special morning is because we are wrapping up John's gospel. And so I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna get into kind of the concluding remarks of John's documentary on the life of Jesus. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we pray um, that you would fill us, that you would fill me in this moment. Lord, as we go to your scriptures, help us to behold your Son, our Savior and our King. Father, I pray uh, that you would inspire us where we need inspiration and you would breathe courage uh, uh, into us where we need courage. Lord, convict us where we need conviction. Challenge us where we need challenging. God, meet us where we're at today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. There is a a kind of scientific method to exegeting or understanding a text where you're looking at what is the author's intent, why is John finishing his gospel this way, uh, and, and what is true. And then there's this moment where a pastor prays and says, and why do, we, why do we need to hear this today? And through prayer and walks, I feel like God has answered that prayer and he has a word for us today. I have had a very uh, ministry-filled week. I, uh, I got a text early this week, and, and it was someone that wrote these words. I'm reaching the point of asking, why me, Lord? And I know this person's story, and I know the last four or five years have been filled with difficulty. And what's coming out of her in this moment, in her pain, is like, why do I, why is this the story that God is writing for me? In this church, we came to this church, Julie and I, and we were uh, in our young 20s, and we kind of fell under the mentorship of uh, a couple, the Goldens. And uh, I drove down to Tucson yesterday with Julie, and we went to Tom's memorial. So a mentor of mine passed away. Uh, It's been a seven year, very difficult journey, uh, a massive stroke that Tom endured uh, that was debilitating. And for seven years, it's just been. Life has just been heavy with challenge after challenge after challenge with the stroke, and uh, Tom has passed away. And then a moment with, uh, you know, uh, a teenager that's kind of like looking at a a baseball career and be like, why is this so hard? And this, this one is having, you know, this friend is having extreme success, and this one is in the midst of struggle. And kind of like those things that we all ask ourselves, like why, why is this my story? We have in this room a collection of those stories. Many of you dealing with chronic pain, chronic uh, family dysfunction, health and disease, addiction, maybe chronic rejection, and loneliness, chronic marriage pain, Uh, chronic financial setbacks, and they just keep coming, unrelenting, chronic weakness or illness, and maybe some of us just even like chronic mistakes that have led to consequence, and I want to get right, I want to do it right this time, and yet... We just find ourselves struggling with any of these. Maybe, maybe that connects with you and you find yourself saying, Lord, why me? Why can't I have their story? And I feel like at the end of John's gospel, we're going to have a word of encouragement and a word of challenge from God this morning. I want to start our conversation with the end of John's gospel. I said, this is a documentary on the life of Jesus. And we have four of them in the Bible and these, are, you guys know if you've watched documentaries, you can watch a documentary on the, the life of Michael Jordan. And, and depending on whose perspective you get, you can have a totally different story. Same pieces and elements of, of Jordan's life, but pieced together for a different reason. We want to highlight a different story within the story. And this is what we have in the Gospels is that these, the same life of Jesus from different perspectives that are being assembled and put together to lead us to a conclusion that the author wants us to feel and know and wrestle with. And we're going to start with just the identity of this gospel writer is the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, I know we've kind of giggled and laughed and like, gosh, you're writing your name into the, into the Bible. You're writing your name into the Gospels, and you consistently are calling yourself, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. But I want you to see, like, the beauty in this is when John writes this documentary, this Gospel account, he's probably 30, 40 years removed from these events looking back at those moments and the very core identity that he wants to put into the gospel is, at, this is who I am. You know, like, I think of my, uh, so many different identities in my life of, like, I am the son of Bill and Christy Berger. I am the brother of Brett. I am the father of Katie and Tyler. I'm the, I better get these names right. This is my family. I'm the husband of Jew. I'm the pastor of Redemption Church. Those are all true identities, John says the most core identity that I want to put in this gospel is that I'm a disciple. That means I'm a follower. John followed Jesus, his teachings, his character, his ministry. He says, I am a disciple that was loved by Jesus. And I really hope that we can live out of that identity as we look at John and and see the beauty of who he says he was, I'm a follower who is loved by Jesus, and he gives us this beautiful story where we've gotten to see Jesus' love on display. He rests his case here in the last chapter. His defense or of the gospel, his testimony has been complete. And he says, at least twice, there's more I could say. And in fact, if we wrote down everything that happened, I suppose the whole world would not be big enough. To hold the books that could be written about what we saw in Jesus' life, but I have written these, these accounts so that we may believe. He says, the defense and the evidence that he's given us is complete. In fact, if you look at the structure of John, there is seven signs that he, he puts into the Gospels. Seven signs, the significance of seven, is it's a number that means complete? It was his evidence is complete through these seven signs of who Jesus is and these seven I am statements that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Yahweh, I am. We have these seven I am statements. And John says at the end of the gospel, I arrest my defense. There's more I could say, but this is enough for you to believe. If we look at how these documentaries, these gospels finish, we can, we can have a clue as to what the author wanted us to feel, what the author wanted us to know, and what the author wanted us to, to do as a result of this story. In Matthew, if we looked at the, the end of the, uh, Matthew's account of the gospel, we have the Great Commission, uh, and he says, go therefore, I've been, all authority has been given to me, go into the world, and as you go, make disciples baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe or obey all that I have commanded. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we're left with the weight of wrestling with what is our role in this mission of God and how we make disciples and how we learn to obey Jesus. If we look at Mark's gospel, it ends a little bit more abrupt. At the women go to the tomb and it's empty and there is an angel and he says the body is not here he is risen and you kind of have this moment where the women are bewildered or or like uh, speechless and they're running to tell the disciples and that story kind of ends with this weight of the resurrection now all hope is lost in this crucifixion of the one hope messiah and then all of a sudden it ends with he is risen whoa I need to think about that. Someone's risen from the dead. If we have the end of Luke's gospel, we have breakfast. We have a seminary course on the Old Testament. He opens up the scriptures, the Old Testament, the, the Psalms, the prophets, uh, the Torah, the law, and shows how everything was leading to the death and resurrection of Jesus over a breakfast with Jesus. They had seminary, and then he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. Luke's gospel leaves us what is going to happen when the Spirit of God falls on these people. John takes us to the end of Peter's life. This is what John wants us to wrestle with. This morning as we conclude in this documentary, and there's something that I believe he wants us to wrestle with, but I'm going to start with a parable. Matthew 13, 44. This is a story I can remember telling my children at bedtime often, and there might have been little fuzzy animals involved as I played out this story probably dozens of times. Jesus said this parable to help explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. If you guys aren't familiar, the kingdom of heaven. This is the promise of the Gospels and all of Scripture is that God is going to reign on earth, that Jesus is returning to restore and reconcile all the things that sin has disordered on earth. And it's called the kingdom of God. It's the hope of the Christian faith. And he is trying to explain what the kingdom is like. And in one of his parables, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hit it again. And then in his joy, I want you guys to get this, in his joy of just finding this priceless and valuable treasure, in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had so that he could buy that field and get the treasure. This is the parable that I would tell my kids of like, When we really understand, kids, the beauty of the kingdom of God and what God is offering to us, we are going to want to, not like begrudgingly, I guess I have to give up this, I guess to follow Jesus, I guess to get this treasure, I got to give up this, but in our joy, if we really understand the beauty and the magnificence of this kingdom, that we will with joy sell our possessions people are going to look around us like, we're crazy. Like Tyler, I think at at the moment was into gaming. Can you imagine, Tyler, finding something that was so valuable that you just took your gaming system and you just put it out on the driveway and like slapped a price tag on it? And I think at that moment he was like, no, I can't imagine that at all. And how foolish it would look is like, All of our possessions make their way to the driveway, and we're just slapping price tags on it. And we say, like, just like we sang that song, like, this has no value to me unless this is getting me that. And I want us to look at the end of John's gospel through that lens. The kingdom of God is like this. When you see it, it's worth selling everything for To do this, John rewind, we got to rewind back to chapter 13. And Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. Judas has betrayed Jesus. He has left the room. And then here is what Jesus said after that. Look at John 13, 31. When he was gone, that is Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Now, We've heard in the gospel, now is not the time, now is not the time. It's not the time. Jesus says, "Now. Chapter 13. Now, the Son of Man is glorified." What is glory? Glory is this word that means weight. It's like magnificence. It's like uh, it's um, power. Like that is impressive. And right now, the Son of God is going to be glorified. Now is the time for God's magnificence to reflect off the sun. The character of God, the mission of God, the beauty of God is now gonna be reflected through Jesus. Look at verse 33. My children, he says to his disciples, I will be with you only a little while longer and you'll look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I now tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, Peter, we've watched in the Gospels, his zealous attitude, like, I can do anything. I'm the most devoted, right? He's the one that is like the first one into the scene, like always opening up his mouth first. He is zealous. And so how does Peter respond to where I'm going, you cannot go? Here's what it says in verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow. Jesus says, Now is the time for God to be glorified in me. Jesus is going to the cross. And he says, Where I am going, you cannot follow now. But then he says, You will follow later. Verse 37. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I love this statement. Peter, like us, hopefully, church, is just saying, like, I want to be with Jesus. Wherever Jesus is going, I want to be there. I don't care where you're going. Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. In this, Peter, if we go back to the parable, Peter has seen the treasure hidden in the field, the kingdom of God, Christ, meaning king, has loved him, and he has seen the seven signs the seven I am statements, all of this evidence, and Peter is convinced the kingdom of God is in Jesus. He's bringing this reality to earth. And he says, I will give up my life so that I can buy that field so that I can be with you. There's the confession in John 13. And I love it. And I'm enthused by it. And then reality hits. The next scene we get in the Gospels is Peter's failure. Jesus takes from that moment and takes them to the garden to pray. And Jesus knows, I am about to glorify my Father. and So he prays. And he invites his disciples to pray so they don't fall into temptation. And Jesus goes and prays. Falling on the ground, weeping, and he comes back. And what are the disciples doing? Peter, I will lay down my life for you asleep. And he wakes him up. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray that you don't fight, and you don't fall into temptation. And Jesus goes back and he prays, heading to glorify God on the cross. And he comes back to check on the disciples, asleep. He goes and he prays again three times. Jesus checks on the disciples and Peter and the boys are snoozing. The spirit is willing. The mouth has the right confession, right, Peter? I will lay down my life and yet here he is and Jesus says, don't fall asleep. You need to pray in this moment. You're gonna fall in this moment and that's what we see Jesus, or we see Peter do. Three times he denies Christ and we've been looking at that. Paul Artino's kind of replayed in our mind that the end of John's gospel is Jesus kind of reinstating in every way that Peter denied and was scared in that moment to lay down his life, to actually do the thing that Peter confessed that he would do. He was scared in the moment and when they actually put his life on the line, he said, I don't know Jesus. Around a campfire, servants and soldiers, cold. Didn't we see you in the garden with Jesus? No, I don't, I don't even know him. No, I'm pretty sure. No, are you one of his disciples? Three times. Three times he falls asleep. Three times he denies Christ. Do you see yourself in this story? I think of how many times... I've said, I'm not gonna do this anymore or I am gonna do this. I have this like challenge in my heart and prayer as I go to get my hair cut. Every time I'm just praying like, Lord, I wanna just, I wanna share the gospel with the person cutting my hair. And then there's times where I'm just like, oh, this is uncomfortable. I don't wanna bring it up. Sometimes I'm like, I'm just tired. I just wanna like, I just wanna enjoy just relaxing and get my hair cut. It's like, I'm going to share Jesus, and then I don't. And that might seem minor to you, but like there's times where, haven't we like said we've forgiven that person? Like Peter, what comes out of our mouth is we've forgiven, and yet the reality that we're living in is when it comes to like interacting with that person, reconciliation and love and treating them with honor, there's still bitterness in us. The reality of where we're at is not matching the confession. I say I will give it, but I can't. I'm gonna give this money to to someone in need. I I heard about this need. I'm I'm pledging this money to them, and then something else comes up, and that money gets spent somewhere else. I'm gonna stop going to that website, and yet you're returning. I'm gonna stop the, the sexual immorality in this relationship, and yet you find yourself revisiting. You know what? I'm gonna stop the lies, I'm gonna stop pretending. And then before you can even catch it, you find yourself again. Peter's reality is our reality. As much as we understand the kingdom of God and its beauty and we confess, like, yes, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In that moment, we, along with Peter, Would rather choose keeping our life and distancing ourselves from God rather than losing our life and drawing near to God. That's the reality. Peter is a failure in the parable. And we have different, we have the rich young ruler, which is another like living parable of the treasure hidden in the field. Jesus meets this young ruler and says, uh, uh, you know, this, the dialogue is about what does it take to get eternal life? How can I be saved? And what does the law say? And keep these commandments. The, the, the young man says, I've done all of that. I've kept those rules. And Jesus points to the one thing in his life that is hindering him from actually experiencing the kingdom of God. And he says, okay, for this one, it's the possessions. And he's wealthy, He says, take your possessions. I want you to sell all of them. Do you hear the parable? Sell all of them, give to the poor, and come, follow me, be with me. The rich young ruler is a failure of the parable because he was wealthy and he wanted to hang on to this life rather than give it away. We also have Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a great example of this. He meets Jesus and in one meeting, He's loved by Christ. He sees the kingdom of God and immediately, what do you see Zacchaeus doing? Selling his, like, not selling his possessions, but giving away his wealth. Undoing the wrongs and injustice that he did with his money. Giving to the poor. You see this repentance happen in his life. Here's what I wanna encourage us with. In every way that our lives do not match this confession, in every way that we have failed in this parable, I have good news. Jesus does not fail. He has answered the Hosanna prayer. Praise God, save us. And Jesus is the one who found the treasure in the field, the kingdom of God, bringing the reality of God's reign on earth as it is in heaven, and he saw it, the opportunity, the mission of it, and he came and he gave his life for it. On a cross for us. I want us to look at John 17, uh, one through three. Jesus looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Like put on display the beauty, the magnificence, the weight and the power of God, put it on display. And in every way that I have shown them your glory, they will respond by understanding the magnificence of God. Jesus says, glorify. He says, for you have granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all of those that you have given him. Verse three, now, this is eternal life. He's granted us eternal life. This is what it is. What's eternal life? That they know you, the only true God and the son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do we see ourselves in this story in this story, if we look at the parable, the treasure is the kingdom of God. It's eternal life. And Jesus is willing to go to the cross and empty himself of his divine rights, not counting it as something to be grasped or held on to, not using his divine privilege for his own purpose, but emptying himself, becoming human, to the f- becoming a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, He's paying for the field that he might join God and us. All of us who have failed, Jesus went the distance and he paid his life so that this kingdom would become a reality in our lives, eternal life, our inheritance. What is it? You knowing God. Not like, yeah, I know there's a God. I believe there's a God. Me, knowing God, like I know Julie and Tyler and Katie and Bill and Christy, like I know my family. Knowing God. You can know your creator, and you can live under his good reign. Why? Because Jesus paid his life for that reality, for the kingdom of God to come on earth in your life as it is in heaven. In this parable, we become that treasure, a part of the treasure. Glory, his magnificence, his love. If eternal life is accessible only by our strength, our commitment, our courage, our discipline, our self-control, The Bible says we're spiritually dead and incapable. We're spiritually blind. We're alienated to God. And yet he has done it. So Jesus ends the gospel loving Peter over a breakfast. I love you. Do you love me, Peter? I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? I love you. Do you love me? Three times. In every way that Peter failed... The confession is there. I love you, and the responsibility of I've positioned you to take care of my sheep. That's what we learned last week. And without taking a breath, Jesus says this John 21 18 through 19. He just says, Feed my sheep. And very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, you had freedom. But when you're older, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now, I told you, John is writing this documentary 30, 40 years beyond these events. And as he's looking back, he's reflecting on this moment. And he says, I don't know if we have it up there. uh, He says that this, Jesus said this to Peter, To indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, John is saying, I watched my friend, I watched this play out. What Jesus said was gonna happen to Peter, what Peter said, I will do and failed. Jesus says, You're gonna do it. And I watched Peter glorify God. What does that mean? It's thought, church historians tell us, that Peter was crucified in Rome by Nero. There was Nero lit a fire, lit all sorts of destruction in Rome and blamed the Christians, and there was massive persecution, massive martyrdom, and Peter was one of the ones that was crucified in Rome, okay? And John is looking at that and said, that is how Peter put Jesus on display. That's the death that Peter got to show people God's magnificence and beauty and love in crucifixion. And like us Peter heard this and he looks over at the disciple that Jesus loved and he says, like Enoch read for us, what about him? Like you've told me to follow you and you told me that it's gonna end in death. But what about that disciple? I feel that. <laughs> that whole list of chronic pain and chronic fatigue and and chronic marital issues and all of the things that we go like, why is this our story? How come they don't have to do it? Why do I have to go through this? Why is this the story? Why am I not the baseball player that's hitting dingers? That's home runs. Why do I have to be the baseball player that's struggling? And Jesus says to Peter, if I say he's gonna remain, what is that to you? You Follow me. The treasure is not the comfort. The treasure is not our own personal glory. The treasure is not our own personal success. The treasure, folks, church, the treasure of humanity and why we were created is to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and to inherit the blessedness of the kingdom of God, God ruling again on earth. This is my inheritance everything reconciled together in him, and it's ours, and we are to follow him. And Jesus says, don't worry about everybody else. I've got this global mission that's gonna happen as I reconcile people to myself, and they experience the glory of God in this relationship of being known and knowing God, and I'm gonna send them to every place on earth to represent me and to glorify me, both in the places of success and power and decision-making and those that are being crucified and sawn in two. My glory is gonna be spread throughout this earth. You might be the struggling baseball player or the guy hitting dingers. You might be the CEO where you've got the magic touch and you're putting on God on display in conquering and deciding and bringing beauty and order. And you might be the person who's hit with financial crisis after financial crisis, and you in each of those and in every place can glorify God. The only freedom I experienced in baseball ever was when I finally said, I can't do it. I cannot live with the pressure of trying to please my coach, trying to please the crowd, of trying to bring glory and save myself from humiliation. I just want people to see me and like me and all of it, every at bat. My glory was in jeopardy and it killed me till I finally said, it's yours. My friend introduced me to Christ and the kingdom. And I was willing to say like, it's not about my glory anymore, I want that. I just wanna be with Jesus. And I can remember getting in the batter's box and hitting the plate and saying, Lord, if I strike out, I will glorify you back in that dugout. I will continue to love my teammates. I will have a good attitude and I will work hard. If I strike out, I will glorify you. And if I hit a bomb right now, I will glorify you with humility and a good attitude because, Lord, all I want right now is to please you and to be with you. And then I can remember a significant bat, at bat. It was actually my last at bat. And I saw the first fastball, and it was 97 miles an hour, and it was by me. Like, it looked like an aspirin. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I know how I'm gonna glorify God in this moment. (laughs) but it didn't hold me captive anymore. I wasn't afraid, it wasn't about my glory, it was about me putting Jesus on display in the world in front of thousands of fans and my teammates and my coaches, it's not about us. Wherever God puts us, if it's disease, if it's a wheelchair, if it's a stroke, you have the opportunity to be with Jesus and put Jesus on display in our world. And that's what we've been called to. And we don't believe that he's enjoyable enough that that's worth it. But his love and magnificence, his beauty, his power, his goodness, even in our sufferings, is enough. We're gonna finish with Hebrews Maybe you've heard this hall of fame of faith. This is our church history. This is our family. Church, this is our legacy. We belong to this family. We belong to these kind of people. This is who we are. Listen to this in Hebrews eleven thirty two. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. God was put on display through this family, the people of God, in amazing displays of God's power, conquering success. And then he like turns the channel in the middle of our family's like history. He says this women, and he continues, women received back their dead, raised to life again, and then here's the change. And there were others who were tortured. And they refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they were put to death by stoning and they were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword and they went about in sheepskins, poor clothing, and goatskins. They were destitute, persecuted, and they were mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes and grounds. Church, some of us are gonna experience this success. And our call is that we would put God on display in whatever success. And we put God on display in whatever suffering. Because our hope is not in this life. Our hope is not in this circumstance and in this outcome. Our hope is in we get to inherit the true treasure. And we do that as a part of God's global mission by filling with God's glory, adoring God's glory, and being sent into every circumstance and every place on earth to represent him. The wrestling match that John leaves us with is not just belief. He wrote this that we would believe and have life in his name, but the wrestling match is, follow me. Some of you have gone through John, you've seen the beauty, the treasure hidden in the field, and now the wrestling match is, is he worth it? Will we be the disciples that follow him, the disciples that Jesus loved? Will that become our identity in this church? We pray for us. If the band comes up. Glory. Father, glorify yourself through this church. As you glorified the Son and the Son glorified you, Lord, allow us the love. The patience, the endurance, the courage, the steadfastness, the self-control, the joy, the goodness, the kindness and gentleness of our Father to be displayed through us in our pain and in the low positions of weakness and bad circumstances and in the mountaintop experiences of power and success. Lord, our desire, let it be that we would follow you into wherever you have marked our path. And would we bring you glory because you deserve it. We say with our mouth, we can do this. And yet our flesh is weak, Lord. So what we do is we pray that the spirit of Jesus, who is the faithful one in the parable, that spirit would dwell in this church and would make us faithful those hurting, those asking the question, why me? Lord, I pray they would see the beauty and, and the dignity and honor of, and the privilege of being able to put you on display in their low, their low circumstances. Help us, Lord, we need you in Christ's name, amen.